That was awesome. You can take a seat now. That is going to be fun to send out. Way, way to go. Way to be here. We seriously thought there'd be a few people and we should, you know, bust out, I don't know, some hot chocolate and s'mores or something. But look at you all. We're here, but we are hungry for God. And I hope you came expecting him because I think our hearts will connect with him. And that's, that's the joy of our hearts. Look, I don't know what you did over break. Some people get into a lot of TV shows and I am no stranger to that. I didn't get into this one nonstop, but I have been known to watch an episode or two with my kids. My family is really in, especially my girls, are into the, uh, the Great British Baking Show. Anyone heard of that? Okay, that's okay. Great British Baking Show. Let me just quickly catch you up because this will connect with what we're talking about today. Great British Baking Show is this. You got like a couple judges that are really good and then a couple that are kind of more comic relief. But this is in um, England and they're set up under this huge white tent somewhere in the English countryside. They're bringing in bakers from all around and they're testing them all week long. You've seen reality TV shows, so you know what I'm talking about. They got like four, five, six people that are baking and, and they get tested. Now, Everyone who gets on the Great British Baking Show, they want to win, but maybe just as much as winning, maybe even more, they want one certain judge to notice them. This guy's name's Paul Hollywood, and Paul Hollywood is like the one where they esteem his praise the highest. Just watch it. You'll know what I'm talking about. He kind of comes seriously. They all wonder, what's he going to rate it at? What's he going to do? But listen to this. This guy's been doing this show for like 10 years. And every year, he judges something like 200 different bakes. Okay, all these people bringing their stuff. And he goes down, he tastes them all, and he does this stuff. Hundreds of bakes every year. And about three times a year, on average, he does something on that show that communicates to everyone his highest praise. Like, he does something, it is so rare. If you've seen the show and only seen it a few times, you probably haven't seen this. He does something, it is so rare to communicate then validates them at the highest level that you have done something that has just blown me away. Paul Hollywood, when he tastes something at that level, he steps forward, he reaches out his hand, and he shakes their hand. It's called the Hollywood handshake. Seriously, it happens around three times a year. And when he does this, it just melts the person who actually baked this thing. It is so rare. It is so awesome. It has a name to it. And everyone wants that kind of praise from Paul Hollywood. I'm telling you, we're going to look at a passage this morning where Jesus, who has healed thousands of people, who has talked with countless thousands of people, steps forward and gives a Hollywood handshake. He steps forward among thousands and says what he does to so few people. Someone so catches his attention. And I'm telling you, what caught his attention, we want to catch his attention again. We want to hear what caught his attention. We want to follow it and emulate it because we want this kind of praise that would come from Jesus alone. If you have a Bible and if your fingers aren't too frozen yet, turn to Matthew 15. 
Matthew 15 is where we're at in the scriptures this morning. We'll start in verse 21. Though there are three stories in our text this morning, we will focus almost all of our time on this first one. Matthew 15, 21 says this. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, here it is, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Let's take it from the top and dig into this, and you will see what I am talking about. Back to this passage in the opening lines, it says that Jesus withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. He withdrew. Where is he withdrawing from? All the details in God's word are important. Jesus was in the area of Jerusalem in Jewish land. He was there for a long time, and it says that he withdrew from there. Where did he go to? Tyre and Sidon. Now we're about like 35 miles away from Jerusalem. So guys, he was around Jews, the very people he came for, the very descendants he was one of, and they categorically, for the most part, though not everyone, but for the most part, rejected him. Now he has withdrawn to non-Jewish lands or Gentile lands. Tyre and Sidon are non-Jewish pagans. They know very little about Jesus. They would have very little prejudice against him. And what do we know of this person approaching Jesus? It says this. She's a Canaanite woman. First off, let me just state the obvious. She is a woman. And this should stand out because in the first century, women were very uh, low in society. They were valued very little. But one of the things that I think grabs the heart of men, and especially women, and especially people who have ever felt to be the outcast or on the outside fringes of the majority, Jesus sees everyone and loves everyone. And in fact, women particularly, he ministered to women, he ministered with women, he valued them deeply, and he caught everyone's eye with that reality. So he is ministering this woman who is an outlier, comes up to him. She's a woman, and it says she is a Canaanite woman. Why is that important? In Jewish history, the, the Jewish people or Israelites came into the land that would become their home, and they were filled with what was called Canaanites. Guys, this was a godless people. They were people that even some of them, in false worship to false deities, they would burn like their first infant child alive in a fire as an offering to false gods. This is the people that God's people like wiped out. So get this. 
Canaanites were like the old enemies of God's people. And now you have an enemy from the past, an enemy woman from the past. Like now the enemies of God are seeking the blessing of God. She comes straight up to Jesus. And what does she say? Look at this. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. So this Canaanite woman is also a mother, okay? She is a mother who has a daughter tormented by a demon. I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. Yet I have seen a mother up close who cared deeply for a hurting child. And there is nothing like it. When a mother of a child has a child that has some kind of medical or mental problem, it consumes her. She will do anything for the child. She would happily give her life for this child. This woman is a mother, and the daughter is severely tormented by a demon. And let me just state the obvious. She is desperate. She is desperate. You can hear it in her voice. Lord, son of David, my daughter's tormented. And it says of her, she kept crying out. This wasn't one time. This wasn't maybe twice. No, hear her. Hear her as Jesus comes by. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, stop. My daughter, help me. Lord, son of David, I know who you are. Stop for me. Help me. No one can help me. Maybe you will. Please, stop, stop, stop. Hear a desperate woman crying out, an enemy of God's people, crying out. Do you hear her desperation? She'd do anything to get the attention of Jesus. But then Jesus it says, did not say a word. Didn't say a word to her. All that. And he's silent. She keeps crying out, but he's silent. What's going on? And the Bible says that it wasn't him that broke the silence. Eventually, it was his disciples who broke the silence. I don't know if it's because of the awkwardness of a woman crying out and they just don't know what to do. Please stop this awkward situation. Jesus, please do something. Perhaps it's out of their compassion for her. Jesus, please help her and send her away. What they do say is send her away because she's crying out after us. And we don't know. Just get her away, period, or heal her and then send her away. Jesus finally responds, but interestingly, he doesn't talk directly to her. He talks to his disciples. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's going on? Do you feel the tension in this? A woman crying out, Jesus not even talking to her, just talking to the disciples about her? And then he says something a little bit obscure maybe to us. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Guys, you got to hear this. You got to know this about the Jewish people. It all started back with this guy named Abram. His name got a name change to Abraham, but originally Abram. And God sees a whole world lost in sin, a whole world hopeless under the judgment of God. His heart is for the whole world, but in order to redeem the world, he starts with one guy named Abram. Listen to what he says way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. He singles this guy out and says this. It'll be on the slides. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Understand this. God says to this one man, Abram, I'm going to bless you and the descendants that come through you. Follow this. All the way through Abram comes guys like King David, who is like a huge king in the, in the life of the Jews. All the way eventually would come Jesus Christ. So the blessing of God was going to start with Abram, was going to come to the Jewish people, come to them in the person of Jesus, the king of the Jews, but it wouldn't stop there in time and after it came to the Jews, it would go to all Gentiles, all nations. They were blessed to be a blessing. And there was so much brokenness between Jews and Gentiles. There was so much they didn't understand about that. Jews looked down on the Gentiles, though they were supposed to be a blessing to them. They thought of them like mangy, wild dogs. And I don't think the Gentiles sought much more of the Jews. Tremendous brokenness. How does this woman respond to this truth that God's blessing was going to come first to the Jews? She comes. She kneels down. Look at verse 25. She came. She knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She has already called Jesus Lord and Son of David. Why is that significant? This woman, way up here in like non-Jewish world, is looking at Jesus and going, I believe who you are. I believe you're the Son of David. I believe you're the blessing that comes all the way from God and will eventually come to us. Which is crazy, the Jews down there in Jewish land rejected you. I am just a Canaanite woman. I believe in you. And now, look at her on her knees, kneeling down, going, Lord, help me. She's just heard the blessings that have come to the Jews first and not her. Lord, help me. Guys, I want you to notice two things about this woman. Number one, she's desperate. And desperate people catch the attention of God. She is desperate, crying out, crying out on her knees, Lord, help me. It reminds me of a gal just in my connection group this past week. She was so desperate, so desperate that God would use her to lovingly correct another Christ follower. She felt afraid to do that. It took courage. She felt weak. She doesn't like conflict, but she saw this other Christ follower going down a wrong path. She was so desperate, wanting to be a voice of truth in this 
other lady's life, but she was kind of shaking in her boots, you know, kind of thinking about this, sends out a prayer request to our whole Connect group, pray for me, pray for courage, pray that God would come through. At our Connection group that night, this is just last Wednesday, she goes, and just to me, because I don't think she wanted to make this known to everyone, so I'm blowing it, but I won't give her her name. She goes, I fasted and prayed all day. We were praying. She was fasting, desperate for God, and she goes, God came through. This woman, before I even brought up these, these corrective words that I needed to bring up, this woman said to me, oh, if someone had anything that they saw in my life, anything wrong with my life, I want them to come directly to me and tell me. Like, you can't get a layup any better than that. Like, that is like God throwing you a softball that, like, anyone can go, you know, like, hit that one. And she just goes, she speaks these words of truth, and God's word falls on just fertile ground. I'm telling you, God responds to the desperate. She, this gal in my connection, desperate for God, crying out, fasting, praying. This woman is desperate. She is on her knees before God, and yet listen to what Jesus says. Verse 26. It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. When I first read that, I'm like, oh, no, Jesus, you didn't just say that, did you? No. Oh, come on. Give her a break. Just see the dinner scene that Jesus is drawing here, okay? Like, God feeding his own children at the dinner table, they would be the Jews. The children in this little analogy are the Jewish people. God first wanting to feed them, and then invariably some food falls off the table, and the dog walking around picks it up. Now, some of you had a pet dog, and you were helping the dog. You know, you're throwing it off the table. I don't like to eat that anyways. Oh, Mom, I love it. You know, and I mean, you're helping the dog out. But listen, what Jesus was saying is, my children are like the Jews sitting at the table, but the Gentiles, they've been called dogs by the Jewish people. They're like getting the scraps that fall off the table. And Jesus says that. He goes, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, I find myself going, how's anyone going to follow you, Jesus? In our day and age, it's time to get a muffler, buddy. How, <laughs> how is anyone going to follow Jesus in our day and age when Jesus talks like this? I'm like, seriously? Like, does Jesus need to take, like, a politically correct class and, like, learn how to talk a little bit more socially acceptable to women and different people who are, like, and yet, he says what he says. And I need to first learn this, and maybe you need to with me. Let me not take my 21st century assumptions to the text where I go, oh, I can't believe you said that, Jesus. Well, you know, everyone has a bad day when they slip up with their words. I know I do. I bet you do too. No, Jesus is the most wise, sensitive, brilliant teacher ever. He loves Jews and he loves Gentiles. What is he up to right now? He is testing this woman's heart, setting her up for an opportunity. And this, in response to Jesus saying, the children get fed, the crumbs fall to the dogs. Listen to what she says, verse 27. Yep, but even crumbs that fall 
from their master's table will be eaten by the dogs. Look at that. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. This woman, she shows that she gets it. Jesus Christ came to the Jews first, but she had faith in Jesus. She had faith that Jesus who came for the Jews, blessing would come to the Gentiles. She had faith that it would come to the Jews first, the children, but then blessing would come to Gentiles who were thought of as dogs. She still, from that maybe same position of her knees, said, yep, but I know in time, even people like me, who don't deserve any of your blessing, even people like me will receive blessing that comes from heaven. And Jesus, I wonder if just kind of testing, kind of teasing out where she was at, he sees not only someone who is desperate, but he sees someone who is reverent. That's what I see in her. This is a woman who is reverent before Jesus. She recognizes, I don't deserve anything. I don't. You don't owe me anything, God. Just because I'm desperate doesn't make me someone who you owe anything to. But I am reverent, and I believe you are who you said you are, and I believe that blessing would come to people like me in time, and I'm just asking, would you bring it now? Would you heal my daughter? And then comes the Hollywood handshake. Did you see it? When Jesus steps forward, so to speak, in verse 28, then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. This woman is desperate. This woman is reverent. And she's standing before Jesus. And guys, I found myself asking this question for my own soul first and then for you. This is the question I found myself asking. How can I follow this woman's example and be desperate for Jesus and be reverent before him? How can I follow her path? Because you know what? I want a Hollywood handshake, but I don't care about Paul Hollywood. I want Jesus to see me among the masses and go, that's what I'm talking about. That great faith, that desperation, that reverence, that's what I wanted to hear the whole time. And this woman caught the ear of God. I have seen people catch the ear of God and him move in power. I think of one college student, Mike Easton. At the time I met him, just a freshman, just a squirrely freshman, kind of insecure about who he was, needing to be loved, needing to hear the truths of the gospel wash over him. I watched him beg God to bring the gospel to Iowa State University. But his prayer wasn't just for his little dorm floor. No, I mean, there's like 30-some thousand students at Iowa State. His prayer was, God, would you bring an evangelistic Bible study to every dorm floor on the Iowa State campus. It's not enough that one floor would have a demonstration of Jesus on their floor. Every floor where freshmen go, they should hear the gospel. And I watched the guy 
pray and seek God for a lot of years. And I'm telling you now, to my knowledge, every dorm floor at that campus where the Salt Network began has the testimony of Jesus Christ in an evangelistic Bible study happening. God could do that here, and he could use your faith. Desperate people, reverent people, God is looking for that, and he wants to work in power. And I wonder, though, if we need to first hear this, God doesn't owe us anything. Like, I find myself wondering, do I think God owes me anything? Because let's be the ones who cry out to him for that job or that grade or that child or that spouse or whatever it is. Let us be desperate, but let's hear her reverence. Not that God owes her anything. Let's hear her reverence before God, crying out to him. I found myself also, as I listened to this lady, I found myself asking me this question, like, how bad do things need to get in my life before I turn to Jesus? Like, for you, seriously. Like, how long do things have to be bad before you're like, you know what? I need Jesus' help. <laughs> like, when do you get to the end of yourself? Like, like, how long are you still Googling to find that answer? Like, how long are you still, like, phoning a friend? How long before you get to a place where you are like this woman. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Like, when was the last time you prayed on your knees? I know it's not more spiritual to pray on your knees than sitting up. I get it. But C.S. Lewis had it right, that there was a connection between our physical posture and the posture of our hearts. Like, how long has it been since even like in your living room, in your dorm room, in your apartment, you're like, you know what, it's kind of weird, but I, if someone wakes up and sees me, who cares, you know? And you just like set it all aside and you got down on your knees. How long has it been since you've been desperate? I'm telling you, we want the attention of God. We want the Jesus handshake, right? We want to catch his eye, and this woman has great faith. She's desperate, and she is reverent. What would it be like if we were a church full of desperate, reverent people? What might God do in this city? What might he do? I want to see. I want to see that. But guys, Jesus wasn't done with this one lady. In fact, I'm only going to give a couple minutes to this. I want you to hear the last couple little pieces that, that come with this. Jesus healed this one lady's daughter, but there was more to the story. Look back with me at Matthew 15. Start with me in verse 29. Matthew 15, 29 says this. Moving on from there, he stays in Gentile land, but moving on from that woman, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee he went up on a mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Let me just pause to say this. Jesus heals this woman who is desperate and reverent 
but he's got more love for people than that. He hikes himself up on a mountain, just sits down, just posts up on this mountain, right, kind of camps out, and anyone who's sick comes to him, anyone. He's like, I'm here. I don't even know that they were reverent. They might have been desperate. I don't even know that they feared God. Like just anyone, the people are coming to him, probably some small level of faith, like God is healing all of them. And they gave glory to the God of Israel. That's why I think they're still in Gentile land. They're calling God the God of Israel. Like the God of that nation over there, he's blessing us. Then it doesn't stop there. It's like there's more compassion in the heart of Jesus than that. It's not just one woman. It's not just up on a mountainside. In fact, let me just read the next couple verses. Then Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse on the way. And I'll let you finish the other verses at home. Basically, he goes on to feed 4,000 men, and that's discounting women and children. Who knows? Maybe 10, 12,000 people. Here's what I believe God wants us to see, Salt Church. I have been so excited to teach this passage because here, Salt Church, is what I believe God wants us to see. You ready? Jesus had compassion not just for one woman who showed desperation and reverence. Jesus went up on a mountain, healed tons of people, but he had even more love and compassion than that. Then he goes on to feed thousands of people. And the question I found myself wondering is, Salt Church, with Jesus gone in heaven preparing a place for us, will we be like Jesus to the crowds that still remain? Will we surrender ourselves to him in such a way that God could still show love and still show compassion and still show kindness and still show grace to people who don't deserve it? Now a confession. I fail often. Ask my wife, ask my mother, ask my daughters. I fail often at showing compassion to my own family, to my own children, to my own mom that struggles with health needs. Like the very ones closest to me, maybe you do too, a very close friend, you have a hard time just meeting their needs. That is my story. How will I get beyond myself to show compassion for the masses? I don't know, but I know in my guts that I will get there in Christ's strength. And Salt Church, I found myself thinking like this. Well, Jesus responded to this woman because at least she's desperate for Jesus, and at least she kind of gets it right. And, and, and she says the right things. But you know what? All these masses over here, like in Gainesville, all these students, all these community, all these poor people, all the cities around us, you know what? They're not really desperate for Jesus. And they're not even reverent. I know how they live on the weekends. I wouldn't call that reverent. So that's why Jesus hears women over here that cry out like this. But that's why he's just going to judge everyone else. 
Only I saw something different in my Bible. I saw Jesus going up on a mountain. And here's what I never heard him asking. Now, can you explain exactly where your faith is right now? Can you tell me how reverent you are? Now, what would you call me? Would you call me son of David or not? Uh, do you deserve a meal? I mean, I was going to heal 4,000, but you know what? I'm only going to heal the ones who deserve it. I'm only going to feed the ones who really earn it. Do you see that? I don't see that. I see Jesus Christ so filled with love, so filled with compassion that, yes, he blesses this woman who gets it right, but guess what? He blesses thousands more before they ever get anything right about him. And what's beautiful to me is the love of Jesus doesn't stop with this woman on her knees, and it doesn't stop with this crowd that has physical ailments, and it doesn't stop with this other crowd or the same crowd that needs to be fed, the love of Jesus goes all the way to the cross where he dies not for desperate and reverent people. He dies for godless, wicked enemies like me. He doesn't wait for us to get it right. He doesn't wait for us to have humble and broken hearts. He went to the cross for us. He paid the price for people's sins because we weren't getting it right. And after being judged, his sacrifice before God was pleasing. He proved it. He rose from the dead. He lives victoriously. And he opens up the doors of heaven and offers eternal life to anyone who asks him for it. Salt Church, can we become the kind of church that is so filled with the Spirit of God that we begin to show compassion before people are even asking for it. Here is what is true of us as a church. Let me just say this. Those of you who call Salt Church your home church, super grateful. Anyone else who's visiting, so glad that you're here. But those who are regulars among us, we ask unashamedly, would you give generously? Would you become even percentage givers to help the ministry of the gospel in this place but guess what we also do as a church? We give away 10% of our income. Income. The giving that comes in, like 10% of it, we just want to model well for people, and we give those dollars away. Some of it we know what to do with. We give to help plan churches around Florida. We currently do that through the, the Florida Convention, this Baptist Church Planning Convention. We are giving to help churches like the next church plant in Cincinnati in our network, like the next church plant in Columbus, like church plants that are happening out in Colorado or Penn State or wherever. We are giving to help church plants happen. But guys, there are thousands of dollars that we have. I asked Ryan to get the numbers right, and it's something like several thousand dollars that we want to give to Gainesville to bless, to show this kind of love that we saw in Jesus, like we want to just show the gospel. We don't want to just share the gospel. And you know how we're going to give it? We don't even know. And here's the reality. I don't even know what to do with it. But you might. You might know of schools that desperately need to not just hear the gospel, they need to see it in action. You might know of people like struggling with the impacts of COVID and you're like, this person, it hit their family hard. You might know of people who like are desperately in broken places. Like you can help us know what to do with it. Salt Church, by God's grace, we will step forward and we will grow in sharing the gospel and we will grow in showing the gospel.
you have given in a way. We have finances, and we have you who love this city and love this campus. We have the ability to do it. Will we step in and be the church that God's calling us to be? I want to be a part of that church. I want to be a part of a church that isn't just blessed, but we are blessed to be a blessing. And I'm excited as we start this new year to focus not so much on ourselves. God has been good to us. And you know what? Crazy that we're outside and we're celebrating the goodness of God without walls. It's okay. It's the first day I've not cared about a face mask. It kept my face warm today. But you know what? With you, I am blessed by God. Before we even step into a building, can we just focus on how we can take the richness of God's blessing and be a blessing? Yes, let's be like that woman, desperate and reverent to God. But yes, can we be like Jesus, who doesn't wait for people even to be desperate and reverent, who shares and shows his love long before people are even asking for it. Let's be that church. You know, some of you today, you have a sense in you where you feel desperate for God. You do. You, you know that, like, you got stuff going on in your life. You're like, Jesus, you heard that person. Would you hear from me? It could be small. It could be large. But you have a sense of humility in your heart. And one expression of being desperate before God is that you're open to letting people pray for you. You're humble enough to do what my daughter does often. She comes up, Dad, will you just pray for me about this? Daddy, will you pray for me about this? Dad, I got this going on. Will you pray for me about this? Like just receives prayer. Guys, right now, the worship team's gonna come on up. In fact, I invite you, Jamie and the crew, come on up here. They're gonna lead us in our next couple songs of worship, but we're gonna do what we did even about a month ago here. We're gonna have some community and some students come up, kind of stand off on both sides of the stage. And during this closing worship set as these guys lead us, I would invite you, be like this woman, desperate for God. Be like this woman, reverent before God. Come up and allow someone to pray for you. Allow one of us to seek God on your behalf. God loves seeing faith, hearing faith, and maybe you would come forward and be prayed for. Let me pray for us, and these guys are going to lead us into worship.